Welcome back to the On Documentary podcast, exploring the art of non-fiction filmmaking from various points of view. I'm your host, Adam James Smith. On this first episode of season two, I talk with Emmy award-winning filmmaker, Maro Chemev. As well as directing and producing many excellent documentaries, such as Half the Sky, Hostages, and Carrier, they are also the founding partner of the global production company, Show of Force, and chair of the MFA in Social Documentary at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. I talk with Maro about what it takes to become a documentary filmmaker today, as well as their work as a director, producer, and educator. Before we head into this episode, please hit the subscribe button so you can be notified when future episodes are released. Maro, welcome to the On Documentary podcast. It's wonderful to have you join today. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. To make a start, I'm curious, what originally led you into the world of documentary filmmaking? I was a complete uh, film nut kid, which, uh, you know, I just loved, loved, loved movies. My mother was always taking me to the movies. And when I was, I would say, about eight years old, um, a show came on uh, on public television on PBS, that time known as 13 in New York City, that uh, was called An American Family. And it was an it was a doc series, the kind of beginning of doc series, um, in my in my view, and pretty much the beginning in many ways about a family. Uh, it was a complete cinema verite film um, made by Alan and Susan Raymond about a family that lived in Santa Barbara, California, called the Loud Family, and I was absolutely hooked. I just loved it, and I remember I was only eight or whatever. My mother came on in 1970. My mother was, my mother said, well, you know, if she loves it that much, let's let her stay up till nine o'clock and watch it. So I started watching that series and I was forever completely engaged with the concept of real things and real people and stories that were larger than the stories that I was seeing, uh, in scripted, you know, going to the movies on a, on a Saturday afternoon, which I love, which I still love to do. I mean, I still, I still love them both, but I became really engaged at that point And I started watching documentaries, which I did all through, all through my youth. So, um, initially I, I don't think I thought, I thought it would be like a, a, a love and not a vocation, but I, um, but that sort of changed for me. And then I went to study, you know, I went to study film in university and I went specifically to work with an experimental filmmaker uh, named Stan Brackage, who was very brilliant. And he was in, he was in Boulder, Colorado and living in Boulder. So I went to Boulder to work with Stan, which was, which I did and um, spent uh, four years uh, working with him and um you know the sort of the bug began and i started really to to make you know to make films and i started as an editor which many people um many people do we'll get into your own um work as a producer and director a little bit later on 
Mm-hmm. Um, but first, let's talk about the MFA in social documentary uh, that you're currently the chair of at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. Yeah. Um, from what I heard, you were instrumental in setting up that program. Can you tell Correct. me what inspired you to initiate that program? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, how has it been building the program over the years? Because I know that it's been going well over a decade at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I was teaching, um, so I'd had some experience with teaching because I was I was teaching at NYU in the graduate film program, um, mostly uh, editing, uh, teaching editing and working. And the head of of uh, the chair of NYU at that time was a was a filmmaker named Christine Choi, a really interesting. Uh, person who I, you know, knew and I knew from working professionally, and she had been at NYU for years. So it became a kind of a of a of a sort of a more of a doc tank in those years at NYU, though it was very clearly a, a school and still is that is um, that is focused on uh, the auteur director really. I mean, it's very much, you know, the Scorsese and the Spike Lee vibe that kind of, you know, drives the the sort of gold star at that at, at NYU, and the notion of being an independent and um, and sort of a tour director. So the there were some wonderful people who were focused on documentary or wanted to, and there were a lot of faculty who were working in documentary, some of whom, you know, I've become extremely close with and who are on my own faculty, as Sam Pollard and I were at school together and now make, you know, at at NYU. So I was not really, I was much more focused on my own career, and I was approached by SVA uh, saying, you know, we don't really, we think there's a, there's a gap here to really do documentary uh, as a master's uh, at the master's level that is solely focused on documentary filmmaking. So I was sort of um, intrigued by that concept. And SVA is a privately owned institution. It's it's you know it's an all arts institution. So it seemed like wow, this is really interesting. Um, you know, maybe I should you know be a consultant, you know, he asked me if I would consult and help them to look at what a program would look like. So I said, oh, okay. And and then, so it became this kind of, you know, built upon, built upon, you know, concept that like, oh, you could consult and come up with this idea. And then I consulted and I came up with some ideas like, oh, maybe you can see if we could get this approved in Albany as a, you know, for a master's program and we'll have to jump through these hoops. Will you help us to jump through these hoops? I was like, Sure. Okay. So I did like a, I extended it. And then the next thing you know, um, it was like, oh, well, maybe you can, you know, sort of design and run this program. And I was like, do I really, you know, want to do this at this phase in my career? But I love, I love um, teaching and I love students and I love the art of documentary filmmaking. And I, and the fact that it was going to be a program that existed within an arts institution seemed really, really exciting. And so, you know, while I had originally been pro- approached by Stephen Heller, who was a designer and writer, um, um, a, you know, he was the design writer for the Times and he was teaching uh, graphic design at SBA. So they knew that they needed to get some film people involved. But so Steve and I 
um, you know, he really, he really brought me in and he's a, you know, he's a wonderful person. And then, um, you know, David Rhodes, who's president of SCBA was, was really, uh, excited about it. And he was sort of in the mode at that time of, of creating uh, quite a few master's programs. So he was, he was, he was, it was in a, it was in a growth, a growth spurt of the school at, at the master's level. And so he was creating these, you know, very particular programs. Um, and it was him, it was David, uh, who actually said, uh, added the word social to it. And I, and I talk about that a lot with applicants because, um, it, because it does, you know, I, I respect that it's in the title, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that much to me. The, the concept of social documentary versus simply documentary. Um, but I, I think in his mind, it was, it was that, uh, that sort of more political drive or that the, that the films would be disruptors or they would be, you know, driving social change, looking at social change, not be, um, you know, a school where that you were going to go and whatever, learn to, you know, direct and produce the Kardashians. But, you know, in that, in that level, you can graduate from our program and probably several others and have no intention of doing things like that. And yet you are completely prepared and you could produce anything when it, once, you know, once you're prepared to do so. So I, I, I think that that was the, that was probably the one conversation that was had was why, you know, what does social documentary mean versus just, you know, an MFA in documentary. But um, that's how it sort of began is that they approached me and then I actually developed it uh, from the ground up and brought in, you know, my colleagues. And uh, I think a very key part about SBA as an institution is that all of the faculty are working professionals. And that's true in almost every department. So it's not about going to study with people who are on a tenure track and the last film they made was, you know, in black and white or whatever. It, it's very much about people that are in, absolutely at the top of their game. And making, you know, and making the award-winning films that are happening right now. And that was um, also very appealing uh, because I think it's great when you go to grad school to not only be building your relationship with your colleagues, but your relationships with your, with the faculty and who you are going to, you know, work with and hopefully become, uh, you know, a coexisting colleague with. So that was like, oh, okay. And then I just got all my friends on board. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, you can teach and you can teach and you can, you know. So it became this kind of hub. And because we were in New York and we are in New York, uh, there's a, there, the real heart of documentary, in my view, is in New York and, and in London. There's great things going on in London if you're, if you're over there. But if you're, in the, if you're in the States, I think it's really you know, the epicenter. And so that was also great because we had the ability to have so many amazing faculty and guests and films and associations because it was, it was the first of its kind in New York City. So with running an MFA program uh, in film, uh, I imagine you need to be on the pulse with what's changing in the nonfiction film landscape. Mm -hmm. uh, at any time and you obviously are but you're a, a producer and a director as well yeah but what what are some of the biggest challenges you've seen um 
some of the biggest uh, changes you've seen in the documentary film world since the program started? And maybe how have your students changed as students or as filmmakers in the last 15 years? Um, hmm, interesting. Well, the, the industry has changed enormously, enormously. And it's going up and then it goes down and then it goes up and then it goes down. So that, you know, how, how documentary is perceived. Um, and I think it was not so long after that. I mean, it's always been respected. It's always been, you know, uh, you know, as also I'm a member of the Academy, I'm uh, of, of motion picture arts and sciences. I'm, I'm really kind of, you know, connected to, to that group and understanding how the trends in documentary have changed. But the notion that documentary, um, and this is pre-streaming, would be would be so accessible and what that would be like or we'd have you know with you know Michael Moore and other people these you know, huge theatrical successes those were all changed those are all big changes that occurred so 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 there was there was a kind of a of a, of a world of you know whether it's you know Barbara Koppel or the Maisels or people that were working in those early sort of cinema verite days as we you know it's still a word and you know still an idea that we all follow but um you know those films were you know um much more sort of showing you you know um in an observational way, things that were going on in the world. And they did, they, you know, they had an audience and they certainly had a place on public television and they certainly had, um, you know, an audience. But then suddenly they really rose, you know, in, I don't know, starting in the mid 2000s into this, you know, when the Sundance Film Festival became such a such a huge deal around 2000 and, you know, maybe a little bit earlier, but, you know, where you would go and, 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 and documentary became the draw um, and it became a huge, huge um, uh, success. I think people started, you know, in terms of the funding side or the network side, to feel like, oh, well, we could make money doing this because, you know, that's something... <laughs> documentarians never cared about or they should have but they didn't so it was you know but they you know it, it was sort of like follow the money and follow the you know and then what's the story and then doing reality and doing all sorts of things became non-fiction as we'll say became like a driving force on television and you know and in the you know in a, in a certain number of cases in theatrical so that was you know huge changes and then suddenly it was like the world where um i don't know was it 5 years ago or 6 years ago i mean movies were selling you know about you know billy eilish or whatever were selling for 20 million dollars out of out of festivals and stuff and now we're 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 in the downturn of that again so you sort of have to watch those waves I'm not sure that my students have changed like that. They haven't um, because, well, our students are from all over the world, um, you know, many from Asia, of course. Um, we have incredible, and, and, and as has the industry. I mean, obviously, Korea is a huge power in the film industry at this point. Um, so, you know, I think that the the core fundamentals that we're talking about, uh, you know, in our two-year MFA program uh, is what we're talking about is story, <laughs> finding a story, accessing a story, 
um, making a film, you know, in our department, that's the focus. We're not, we're not telling you, although we have wonderful students who will do different things, short films or short-term stuff, or, you know, uh, Jatavia Gary, a, a an alum of mine is, you know, is now, now has a, uh, a, a permanent installation up at MoMA. I mean, there are, there are there are many ways to 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 skin a cat in the true story universe. However, um, we're really talking about the fundamentals of story, and um, so it's a very specific program that's very much of you know a hands-on think tank. You're making like four or five films in your first in your first year and you're making one film in your second year and you're working within your first year to figure out what that subject matter will be. So in, in many ways, all of the basic things that you're looking for or that you're trying to understand how to execute and how to execute finding your own voice and your own vision. I mean, how do we know that that's a, you know, um, a film made by a certain filmmaker, you know, what, what gives something that particular flavor that's all, you know, that all sort of comes later. So you can take all of the basic principles that you worked on, uh, in, in learning how to become a documentary filmmaker or a documentary storyteller, and you then can apply them to whatever you want. And, you know, it can, it can change experientially. But I feel like ultimately, you know, when I go to a movie, what draws me in? The story and the characters. And that's true in fiction as well. And, you know, you, you, you want to try sometimes not to call subjects in your film characters, but they are. <laughs> you know, they are, if you're the viewer and you get hooked into a doc um, feature or series, it's about story. And it's about what's happening. What's the plot? What's the beginning and middle and end? What is, who's the, who's delivering the story to me? Who are the subjects? Who are the characters? Who can I, who can I connect to? If they're telling you something very small. It has to, it, it only really succeeds if it's about, if it's a universal truth, if it's something much larger um, and it's, and it's touching you because I always, you know, my students will always over explain things to me that they're seeing. And I'm like, yes, but the whole entire point of movies is that you are not there to do the, you know, the director's track. I need to, I, it all needs to be on the screen or it didn't happen. And the audience needs to sit and watch it by themselves. And they need to be able to completely absorb the totality of that experience with no support whatsoever, but the glistening, you know, light that's, you know, coming through the projector. So for me, um, you know, nothing fundamentally changed. And therefore, my students did not fundamentally change um, because they still remain focusing on those key kernels of of understanding in, in what they're trying to do creatively. If that makes sense. So it does. <laughs> so it can be tremendously exciting, but also quite daunting uh, being a new student of uh, uh, documentary filmmaking or somebody entering the documentary film scene yes. for the first time. Um, from yes. your point of view, what is and, it, and by the way, that never stops. It remains yes. completely overwhelming. Exactly, exactly. Um, from your it's point of view, everything. 
That may be true in every element of life. With everything in life, exactly. I don't know. I've just spent so much time on this one thing that I, you know, but it could be true of everything. You know, you're pushing yourself all the time. And if you're not, you're probably not doing anything that you're really excited about. Right, right. Well, with this in mind, uh, what are some of the most important things um, a new student of documentary filmmaking um, needs to be thinking about or considering? And maybe what are some of the immediate skills they need to be picking up or honing uh, as a new student of doc film? Um, well, I always think, you know, in, it, you know, we are not in any way a... a a historical or an analytic program in that sense. You know, we're, we are all about you, uh, a student making films. We're not about, we're not about the history, but the history of the, of the films and understanding what films are out in the world and what films are connecting and resonating with audiences, I think is something you have to keep your finger on the pulse of, and you have to understand the, you know the 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 layers and the history that made uh, documentary. So in many of our classes, whether that's directing or producing, they're they're looking at lots of films from the past. Uh, you know, and um, and that becomes very interesting in an international setting because I remember in our first year, some of our like our Chinese students, we were I think that they were watching um, uh, Michael Moore's film. Uh, Roger and me. And first of all, they didn't understand, you know, politically in any way what was going on. Like, why would somebody do that? Why, why is he taking you to see rabbits or people that are being kicked out of their house? I mean, you know, it was so, it was so, um, you know, it was so American that they were like, what is this about? They didn't even understand what it was about. They didn't understand the idea that people would get together and like, you know, boycott the factory. I mean, like what? You know, the, we were looking at Barbara Cobble's films and it was just till we were like, oh, you know, we have to remember that people are coming from very, very, very different, um, you know, understandings, which was actually really critical to the kinds of voices that we ended up bringing into the program. It's like, you know, you can't come 50% of your students from abroad and only really understand what it is to work in the American system because the American system of docs is very, very different as it is different in, in the EU or where, or where they're, you know, where you're, you're sourcing and sourcing your funding from, you know, eight different international broadcasters. I mean, so we try to sort of get into those conversations because the U S while very large is also very centric and small and we don't really care what's going on in the rest of the world, which is ridiculous, but we don't, and that you know, and that's an ongoing issue. I think still is 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 understanding from the past films um, and seeing films what makes films good, and what makes them interesting, and what draws you in, and what are you seeing. So, how do you shoot things? How do they? How do you cover things? How do you shoot? 2000 hours you know if you think about a film that um was produced um that i produced marina abramovich the artist is present that that's a portrait film in many ways we shot close to 2000 hours so you're like you know how are you going to deal with that and so 
I think that we we talk a lot about you know what makes a film, um, what what is essentially like don't like people used to come in early on, you know, in my entire career, let alone at SVA, and sort of say you know I'm really interested in like you know making a film about World War II, and you'd be like hmm. Let's drill down a little, a little deeper. Like, let's go a little smaller than, than you know, the Holocaust. Let's let's you know, like, let's just try to find, and and sort of go from the other way. Like, oh, oh, okay, I'm really interested in you know food security, or you know, or I'm really interested in you know how, you know, whatever number of of, of doc subjects are out in the world. And we're like, okay, so we know you you care about this. But how do you approach it? How do you go in? What are you looking for? What characters and what immediate unfolding events can you find that will then, in its playing out of of that story, speak to the larger thing that you're wanting to talk about? And then you can weave those pieces in. um, And you can sort of weave in that, that political um, position, but very few docs, you know, I can think of some that have done very well are just like straight out historical explications or political agenda. Like we're going to like, you know, let, let me tell you why the banks failed. And though, and some of those have been great because I'm like, wow, I did not understand exactly, you know, what happened in Iceland, <laughs> you know, that, that like drove this, 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 this. And I like those films, but they're almost they're almost just like being in a in a in a history lesson or being in a in a you know going to see a TED talk, you know. You but they're uh, as as I as I would say that you know some of the climate cha- the early climate change docs were that too. They were like going and in fact, you know, the first uh, uh, inconvenient truth or whatever like was just like a visualized TED talk. So those are different kinds of, of films. And, you know, they have a place and a purpose if that's what you want to do. And sometimes they work. But mostly for me, the ones that really work are are driven by character or story or, you know, from an anthropological sense. You know, it's 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 finding the little, you know, finding the how did people live on a daily life, uh, you know, in a Mexican community and you're finding the little pieces of the shells more than you are telling, you know, this giant, uh, you know, story of, Oh, you know, here's a dinosaur bone that we're going to dig up. You know, it's like, it's like, to me, it's like, what are the little everyday lives that, um, that can really change things. And sometimes in great docs, you know, it's also right place, right time. Do you have an eye to see what's going on around you? You know, if you think about, you know, really great observational writers that are, you know, very funny, like David Sedaris or whatever, it's all about his eye. It's all about the fact that he's seeing these things and he's, and he's taking them into his orbit to, to have a creative view. Um, and he, you know, tells them himself through through short stories and essays, but and you're telling it through something visual. So very often, also, it's stay stay in your medium, stay on track, 
Is this something visual? Is this something with great characters? Is this something that you can really, you know, dig into that's going to change how you feel about yourself and the world around you? So it's, 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 it's teaching people how to see better and also then how do you execute that? If you, and, and, and then very importantly, what makes it unique to you? How, how, how can this be a film of your voice? And most great filmmakers, even, you know, doc filmmakers, as well as filmmakers, you begin to really see their, their look, their style, their, um, their voice in everything they do. Um, and then, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a Roger Ross Williams film. The hardest thing now is that everybody wants to do it. So every time you go to talk to someone, oh, like 40 people have already talked to them. So then that becomes another element of something we talk a lot about in school, which is that how do you go after, how do you find people? Uh, and then how do you, how do you get them to be in your films and how do you access, you know, cause that's a big, big piece and it's, and it can be, it can be competitive. Maybe this is a good segue into talking about New York City, where your program is based. So you mentioned that New York City uh, is is an incredible place to be a new and an established filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, And I imagine that on your program, many students um, are sourcing stories in New York City for their projects. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some of the memorable New York City stories your students have followed for their oh, films on the wow. program? Wow, well, that are so many, but they're almost yeah. their whole their whole first year in which they're doing one, two, three, four, sometimes five films in their first year, smaller pieces, and then they're doing their thesis. So all of the first year films are 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 pretty much based in New York City or its environs. They don't really um you know head out until they're doing a thesis project and when they do the thesis project they are uh, many all over the world. I mean they they you know the, those films have shot in, in in China and in Colombia and in Nepal and in Paris and you know those those can then not always be here. So um but in, the, in New York, of course, plays out not just for documentary filmmakers. I mean, New, New York is one of the most sort of vibrant, high-low cities in the world. I mean, it's got everything going on. It's got people from all over the world within its world. It's, you know, maybe it's changed a little since my childhood, but, you know, you can still, you know, have a decent, you know, meal at four in the morning. I mean, New York is like always, always going. And that's what people love about New York. It's not beautiful like London or Paris or it's not. It's 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 the gritty it's the gritty city. And it's gone through massive changes too. I mean it's like New York in the seventies. It's like go back and look at the archive. I mean I've done a lot of films about you know, that have, you know, amazing footage of New York, you know, through through the decades. 
um, going going way back. And it's always been fascinating. And it's got the food and the people and the you know in the international world and the um, and the business world. I mean, it's a you know my father always used to say New York was the center of the universe, of course. <laughs> but you know, I'm not sure you don't feel that way if you weren't born here. But but so the element um, certainly that of 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 for documentary filmmakers is that it is a real hub. I mean, a lot of the primary doc units, you know, whether that's HBO or uh, you know public media, they, they all have. They're all here in New York. So, so for a long time, it was, um, you know, it, and I think it still is. And there's, you know, there's certainly things in LA and now with streaming, things are very different. But, you know, New York is really great. Stories, unbelievably great stories too. And one of, you know, the first thing we do is called the City Symphony. And that's just really, um, a, you know, a love story to a certain part of the city. And you get assigned, you know, you almost like pick out of a hat and you get, you know, the Lower East Side. And then we get to see your version of of the Lower East Side. And then we have a process film. So that's a fr- film with a beginning, middle and an end. But we've had process films that have gone on to have, you know, you know, so there's there there a film that students have made in the first semester have gone on to be you know festival winners. One was about a uh, about the guy in Grand Central who was like ninety years old and still fixes watches in Grand Central. So it's just like there's like all those kinds of stories. There's a great story from a year ago about the film noir cinema in Brooklyn, which was is about a you know refugee who came to. New York and was obsessed with docs and he's he started this tiny little film noir cinema um and people sort of come and buy obscure film noir film and like sit in the theater and watch it and he tells you about you know his life growing up in you know sort of a war-torn Poland and I mean it's just like fascinating it's absolutely fascinating so we have like so many great films like that. So we have, you know, we have about, you know, 25, <laughs> 25 stories about New York every year. Um, and we love them. And, you know, and it's always, yet again, it's always about, you know, digging in and finding something uh, unusual or quirky in the city. And, um, you know, it can be hard because, you know, at first glance, it just doesn't look like it's all there. Um, in our second semester, we have what was called the Metro Project. Initially, it started and it's evolved from its, from its uh, you know, its first, year, first couple of years was literally open up the Metro section of the Times and find a story. And it has to exist within this so we gave everybody the same metro section and was like find find and, and do a whole story out of the metro section and it's called the metro project and we now kind of expanded it that it doesn't have to be out of like one paper at the same time or whatever but it's still a, a new york metro story and um and they're and they're amazingly great it kind of came to me because um joe berlinger and bruce Sinofsky, um, Bruce was an old friend. Joe's still um, making a lot of films. Um, now, you know, Bruce passed away and he still works, has gone on to continue to do a lot of things without him. 
um, their their first film together, and they worked at the Maisels Brothers was um, was um, a film called Brothers Keeper, and it's great. It's a great it's a great film. And I remember that they found the film in the metro section. There was like this little piece, and they were sort of like, oh. That seems interesting. And they sort of got in their car and they were like looking through the paper on a regular basis. Like, I got I to gotta find, we got to find a great story. We got to find a great story. We went, oh. and, they, they, and they spent kind of months looking through the paper for great stories. So I was, I, I, it, that always kind of had a, you know, sort of a romantic quality to me. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe we could just like have a Metro project of our own that, you know, you find it in the paper. Anyway. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure your students are spoiled for choice sometimes. I mean, just imagining how many stories um, can be told in New York City. It's, it's almost endless, isn't it? Well, it's it? almost like so endless that it's really difficult. <laughs> yeah. You know, because there's, there, because, you know, there also in, in, in New York, which is hard, people don't always have time for you. Um, you know, you go into a Korean deli and you say, I'd really like to do a story about how, and they're like, they, they feel so under the gun, so under pressure that they don't have, they feel like being a subject in your film will take up too much of my time. Or, you know, alternatively nowadays you can get, well, how much are you going to pay me? How am I going to make it? And you say, you have to kind of go through that element as well, which is that, this could be an interesting process for you. It won't take up all your time, but in truth, it it is you know being a subject of a film. And look, you know, gratefully, I haven't been. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I like to stay right where I am behind the camera. It 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 is it is time consuming. So you have to know how to work with people, and also a lot of times the stories that you want to tell, very very difficult things have happened to people. You know, they've had a child that's been murdered in Chinatown or they're in the midst of finding out that their, you know, that their water is being poisoned by blah, you know, there, you have to build trust. And we talk a lot about, with a lot of our students about how, how to build that trust. So I think that there are a lot of stories, but the other important thing, and we do spend like literally almost a full year looking at stories and having them, they do three pitches a week of, of story ideas because it's really important to try to understand what's a, what's a good story? What is the medium should that, uh, should that story be told? So is that a story uh, that's meant to be filmed? Or is that a story that's meant to be a New Yorker piece? Or is that story, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to go, you dig, and then you have to dig a little more to be sure and clear that it's a story that should be told in a documentary medium. Like, is that really the place for it? So we talk a lot about how do you figure that out in a story? And when is the story too big or too small? Uh, or when is this, when is, when is something, you know, later we talk about that in terms of when is something a feature doc? When is something a series? Just because series are, you know, can be a big deal. Not everybody, not every story merits a series. Not, you don't need to see that story in three parts or five parts. It's hell, you know, too much. 
And, you know, sometimes the hardest stories to tell really beautifully are only three or four minutes long. So, you know, and that's, it's not easier because it's shorter. So, you know, you have to go, we go through a lot of those conversations continually over, over the two year program. So let's get to your work. Mm -hmm. So documentary filmmaking uh, can be incredibly challenging and uh, relies a lot on the self-motivation of the producer, the director. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your motivation as a director or producer? So I know you you work in both roles. Um, What gets you up? Most most doc people do. (laughs) I mean, kind of wear very, very many hats. I do not produce other people's films outside of, you know, my company, you know, where like you bring me on and you hire me and I'm a producer. I don't, I don't really do that. Um, I really am producing and directing things within my, you know, my orbit. And um, I have a company called Show Force. uh, And in that we do, you know, we do series and we do feature docs and, um, we do many at a time, but I was a person that was very, very early, um, long before many of my friends and colleagues, I was very early in the series space, um, where I was doing things that were, you know, playing out over multiple hours and, and not, um, not hours, not, not anthropology, you know, sort of, um, or whatever we would call it, you know, not something where it's like the story of, you know, blues music on PBS and each episode is a distinct, like, you know, film in its own right. And you're sort of sticking with it. um, But each episode is standalone. But the idea of series that are a singular story with cliffhangers that you're watching from episode to episode. So I, I I got into that very early on. I did a series called Frontier House about three modern families that went back in time and homesteaded the American West. And then, you know, I sort of kept staying in the series model. Um, and that was in a way like a, like a PBS's first reality show. I mean, in the sense that it was three families who, and it was a partnership that we had with, with, with it, with the UK actually, um, with a company called wall-to-wall, um, which is another sort of big UK company who had done a series called 1900 house where they sent people back, which was also a PPS co-pro. And so when they came to the U S to sort of say, we want to expand America, you know, Americans had been partners in 1900 and we decided, well, the first one we'll do is in the U S is homesteading in the American West. And so it was, you know, that was really fun. But then I really got very hooked on long form observational. So I did um, a 10 hour series called carrier, which was um, an embedded immersive experience on board um, a U.S. aircraft carrier, the, the, the USS Nimitz, during a full deployment uh, to the Gulf during, um, during the war in 2005. So it was like a really big, like, you know, seven months embedded film team 
doing, you know, stories up and down in this traveling world of 5,000 during the end of the war when people are really kind of trying to understand what our role was in the Gulf. And, and it's all through, um, through characters. Um, so I, I think I was very early on in doing long form series and then it became, and also the crime genre just like crept up on everybody, you know, and I've also done crime series, you know, you know, the jinx, um, and, and other things that had done very well. And, um, you know, so I, I've always been a, a crime junkie too. Like I, I, I re, but I, but only what I call high end crime, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm not really like, but I did Atlanta's missing and murdered the lost children for HBO, which with, um, with Sam Pollard and my partner, Jeff Dupre, we did like, um, you know, real look at, at, at what had happened in 1979 in Atlanta. Um, but for me, crimes always have to be a bigger thing than just a crime. They really have to be talking about something else. But anyway, in my in my world, I've done you know a lot of music. I did a huge uh, music series uh, with uh, Sir George Martin um, of the Beatles. So we we did uh, the story of uh, of recorded music, sort of the history of recorded music. So each episode is is thematic you know, whether that is, you know, the human voice or the produce, the role of the producer. So that is a thematically based eight part series, but, you know, big, big, big music stuff. And, you know, I still, we still do music stuff at my company right now. We're doing the black keys, you know, music is very, is a, is a, is a really fun space. It's just very expensive because the rights and clearances are so expensive. So, you know, you have to kind of have that history, but um, yeah, I mean, the first film I ever made was about, an, you know, was a very, very personal story about organ transplants um, called The Kindness of Strangers, which was then, you know, premiered at Telluride, played at Sundance, um, was bought by HBO out of Sundance. I mean, I had a I had a lucky a lucky streak. And I think still, if you're young and you're coming out of school, having a big uh, like festival run on a feature doc can be hugely catapulting to you. And it's hard. I have a student right now, um, one of my MFA students, I think he graduated maybe four years ago. I'm not, I'll get his, um, his, his dates wrong, but his name is Scott Ruderman. His film, Pay or Die, was just, uh, which is about the insulin crisis. He, he himself is a diabetic and he was just very affected by the costs of, of insulin. And he's made a film called Pay or Die, which Sheila Nevins then, uh, you know, bought out of a festival, I think possibly out of South by Southwest. Um, and, um, you know, it's having a big theatrical, you know, it's, it's having a big launch play now. So, I mean, I've had students who are, or catapulting into the business just in that in that same way um, as we speak, and which is really fun. I have several students who've, I mean, Yuki Kang, who I adore, won you know one doc at NYC, won the festival maybe three three years ago with her film A Little Wisdom, and um, so you know they're they're all doing the same roots that we all do, which is trying trying to find your film that gets out into the world, and um, and finds you know support or gets sold and but but at the same time they have the skill set to have jobs 
So they're APing on people's films or they're shooting or they're, you know, co-producing or they're together, you know, hooking up with other classmates or other alumni and sort of making their own community of films and or they're working on faculty films. Many many have worked on, on the films of faculty and guest faculty. So that's a big part of grad school, I think, is the relationships that that um, that are formed at that time. So, you know, it's still hard though. I mean, it's like it's 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 hard. It's hard now, and we're in a little bit of a hard time right now in our industry. You know, all these streamers conflated, and they all sort of own each other and people are not going to pay to be like have a Netflix account and an Amazon account and a Hulu. So how are they going to like join forces? And then are you really just selling to only three existing buyers? You know, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a transition and I'm sure we'll, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the route will be, or there may become alternate uh, platforms. I mean, I was just speaking with Gerald Dreyfus, who's one of the original founders of, um, of, the you know the sort of collective of of filmmakers who fund you know who go and fund docs and she's it she was like i think we're looking for different distribution platforms how how are we going to change the distribution models for 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 docs rather than only thinking you know i've got to like just nail that netflix pitch you know and the other problem with with big big streamers and stuff for up and coming filmmakers is that, you know, they have so such limited slots that they keep relying on more, more tried and true uh, filmmakers. But I, you know, yesterday I was speaking to uh, the HBO folks um, at the luncheon, uh, Lisa Heller, Nancy Abraham, and they were like, you know, no, they they really still believe in first time filmmakers and young filmmakers and filmmakers, you know, diverse filmmakers, very important people speaking authentically from their own experience and voices. And if they are a little worried about them because they're 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 a little bit green, then they they marry them to people like me who or people who've been around a long time or to production companies that can provide them um, some support to, um, you know, to understand or to navigate all the pit, you know, all the, the holes in the road. And so there, I think, you know, it'll still be getting jobs, knowing people, working, doing your own work and getting that work seen. It's still, it's still, some things never change. It's just the, it's just the context of, of how you get it done that changes a little. With all this in mind, do you have any advice for young filmmakers, or not necessarily young filmmakers, but any any doc filmmakers um, navigating the documentary film world right now? I still think it's about finding great stories, and then and then really putting your mark on how that story is going to get told, and so. Um, when people are very young, I always say like, you know, look around you, your own peripheral, like what's around you. Like, don't be a first time filmmaker that, that says like, what I really want to do is like, you know, make a film about Elton John, you know, don't, don't go there yet. Start with, start with something that's much closer and much more accessible to you. 
um, because those stories are great too. And, and those are frankly the ones that pop through, like what, you know, what's happening is something very strange happening in your building, you know, and are you making a, a personal film or are you making a political film or, you know, so you, you have to kind of find your, find your story and find your place in that story. Um, and I, I still think that like working on other people's films, continuing to learn and grow by, by working on a film of, of, you know, with your friends or, or your, or your, you know, your former film school partners or people that you work for, but, but still just because every single less, every single film for the rest of your life, you, you learn things, you know, you just, it doesn't. It doesn't, it's not like you figure it out when you make a film and that film is good. I mean, the new film, you're just back to ground zero and that's okay. Like that, that's not a bad thing, but you know, that you're in a constant state of learning and, um, and that you can, and be comfortable with that state. And when you make films and you have, you know, and even if you've shot them and you have endless amounts of material and you're, you sit, you get into a cutting room and you're like, oh my God, I have like no idea where to start. My answer is just start. Cut a scene. What's your favorite thing? What's the, what's, what's your favorite scene that you did? Just start cutting that scene because that will then tell you what the next thing, you know, that'll, that'll lead you to the next thing. And then the next, and then you'll start structuring. You just, you have to, in film, you have to do it. You've got to get up the nerve to approach people and you have to have a perspective and you have to have a story in order to talk to people. But you also have to be a listener. I mean, it's a really big job when you're making in the midst of making a film with people, how much you have, you know, you have to listen to them and how much you have to be there for people and you have to understand what they're going through. And then you have to at the same time figure out how do you make a film about that? And then how do you get the money to do that? So it's like, you're in a constant, um, like you're, you know, you're, you're like a Chinese acrobat with like eight plates on a stick. You got to keep it. You got to keep them all spinning or they all, or they all fall down. So, you know, you have to, so the biggest thing you have to do is love what you're doing. <laughs> you have to, you have to love it and you have to be really interested. And I always tell, you know, my students, I mean, when you meet documentary filmmakers, they pretty much on the whole, absolutely love what they're doing. And each film is like a master's degree in and of itself. So this was your actual master's degree. But the next thing you know, you're going to have another master's degree because every film takes about two years. So I know, you know, enormous amount about, you know, the art of recorded music. I know, a, you know, I know more than most people do about Marina Abramovich. Now I know you know, an enormous amount about the Iran hostage crisis, because that's our film that just, um, our series that just won the Emmy this year for Best Documentary Series was a series that we did at our company. It's like, what did I know about? I didn't know that much about, you know, the Iranian revolution. I mean, beyond what I had, you know, remember in one from my childhood, but now I know quite a bit about it. And I've talked to incredibly knowledgeable people about it. So, you know, you have to keep, you have to keep your interest, you know, you have to really gravitate towards what interests you. Um, and then hope that what you're interested in, in your telling of it, many, 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 many people will be interested because, 
that's the thing about film is you don't, you know, it's not a world where if you change one person's life, then, you know, what you did was worth it. Because in film, you really have to, you're really trying to fill the room. You really do want a million people to see your film, not 300. And so you want to really create something that resonates across many, many, many barriers, you know, language, interest. I mean, I just watched the series about David Beckham. And honestly, I didn't, I, I didn't care that much about football. And now, um, I, but I found many, many elements of Posh and Bax, like completely fascinating. And the way that Fisher Stevens put it together, I was like, oh, you know, this is totally interesting. But it wouldn't have been my initial draw. So you find yourself becoming things interested in things you're not interested in. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute. Does that, maybe that means I'm interested in everything or most things, which I think a lot of documentarians are. So they're always very interesting people because they, they, know, they know so many different things. And they, you know, the things that they're working on are so fascinating. You know, so it's exciting. So of all the projects you've worked on, and you've worked on really diverse uh, subject matter, you know, yes. many, different, um, many different topics, um, is there a project that you're perhaps most proud of that you can recommend to listeners? I think that I am truly, really proud of Carrier. Um, you know, I, I directed all 10 episodes of the series. We had an embedded crew. And by, by that, I do not mean it is solely my, my, my vision because the, the producers that were on the, the ship were amazing. We were a crew of 17. I brought 17 people on, um, uh, you know, for a full deployment, you know, for over months and months and months. So, but when I go back and I watch it, it's absolutely evergreen. It's just as fascinating to me today um, as it was when I did it. And I love the subjects in it. And it just completely changed my life to have that experience. Um, so I love that film. Um, I also, maybe not as, a, as documentaries, but I did a, a, a few series uh, with Nicholas Kristof, who is the writer, uh, uh, the op-ed columnist for the New York Times. And I did, um, I did three different series with him based on his books. Um, and the first was called Half the Sky. Uh, the second was called A Path Appears. And the third was Tightrope. And so that, I mean, Path Appears is four hours, Half the, uh, um, half the Sky is four hours. It's all about um, uh, women and girls in the developing world. And so it was not just a film. It was, you know, a huge um awareness campaign and huge tie-in partnerships about the challenges facing women and girls in the developing world. And I think, you know, we're, there were many like tricks employed that wouldn't be classic doc things. You know, it's, it's full of, um, you know, female, like women uh, celebrities, you know, it, it's Phil, it, you know, it's uh, Olivia Wilde and Meg Ryan and Ava Mendez, and like I wouldn't have initially thought I would want to do a, a, a series and bring, you know, sort of outsiders into a story like that. 
But what we were really trying to do was get people to pay attention and get people to think about all of these things. So I'm very, very proud of, the, of all of that work because it was years in the making and it was absolutely life-changing. I mean, I went to, you know, 18 countries and some of the worst experiences, women undergoing just unbelievable brutality. Um, uh, and, and so it, it didn't just tell a story it was it completely changed my view of the world uh and what our responsibilities are in the world so political films to me can kind of do that and so i'm 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 proud and really love that film i'm i'm proud of lots of things that we've that that we've done but i'm also very proud of school it's like another production <laughs> you know the mfa program in, you know at sva is a li- is like a production in and of itself it's just one that's been going on and on and on. And I hope it does keep going on and on. It's been, you know, it, it has been, um, it has been very challenging. And I think that in this, in economic times in our world, people wonder, you know, is that a, is that a safe industry or a safe world to send my kids into? Is that, can you, can you have a career? Can you make money? Can you raise a family by having that as your career? And um, obviously you can, um, but, you know, it's not, we're, we're out of the world where, you know, being a doctor or being a lawyer or whatever your kids, you know, parents told you to do in the 60s and 70s, you know, that's changed too. Um, so many things change things. Um, and I think documentaries really are often you know, the real saber rattler for, for understanding what those changes are and what people are going through. But I, I hope that people still want to uh, go to film school. And because I do think um, on one hand in the world of, oh, I can film that on my phone. I can make a TikTok. I can become a viral TikTok star. Well, that could happen. That could happen. Sure. It's not likely. Um, and also that suggests and circles back to my first comment about the art um that it's a it's an it's an art form um documentary filmmaking so so understanding how to do all these key things but in the context of things that are beautifully shot and the sound is recorded you know really beautifully and you are finding these characters and you're understanding how to access them i think film school is a huge um is a huge jump start for that it's about it's the relationships it's the support i mean when you come to the fa- to sva you know you're you're getting the absolutely focused attention of the of some of the greatest filmmakers you know, presently working, you know, it's like Sam Pollard's on faculty, Deborah Dixon's on faculty, you know, cameras, Bob Richman, you know, and Tom Hurwitz, you know, we're talking about the people that are the, 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 you know, the, the creators of the great films that you've seen and respected. And so because we're in New York, that's the stature of our faculty. Super. So, Mero, thank you very much for joining me on the On Documentary podcast today. It's been a real pleasure hearing all of your insights. Well, thank you. I'm I'm so glad that an on an, an on documentary podcast exists. I'm like, I'm very I'm I you know if there's an audience of people um, that really care about these um, 
you know, these kinds of films and projects and filmmakers, I just hope that it grows and continues. 